I found out I was pregnant, I went, if I don't have, you know, if I don't do this business now, I probably will never do it. Mm -hmm. And then I will have to explain to my kids that I didn't take risks because I was afraid. And that feels worse than trying it and failing. Even if I fail, I could at least tell them I swung the bat, you know? Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Ashley Merrill, a serial entrepreneur and investor whose personal mission is to elevate and empower all women and girls. In 2012, Ashley just started business school and in the same month realized she was pregnant with her first child. The news lit a now or never fire and pushed Ashley to overcome her fears and launch the company she had been thinking about for years, Lunia, a luxury sleepwear line that provides confidence to the modern woman. Ashley is also the chairwoman of Outdoor Voices, an activewear line for men and women, the founder of Lago, a men's luxury sleepwear line, and her newest project, The Deep, a platform for curious people that will change the way we have conversations with each other. Well, I'm excited to jump in the interview. We'll talk about partnership, marriage, entrepreneurship, and what it was really like to start a high growth business while raising two young kids. Welcome to the show, Ashley. It's such an honor to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And I know we talked a bit about this before jumping into the interview, but I so appreciate how real, vulnerable, and honest you are about so many topics from business, life, marriage, kids. So I'm really excited we get to do this interview together today. So on this podcast, we always love to start from the beginning. So take me back to the early days of your childhood. I know both your mom and your dad were very influential in your life. How do you think from your perspective, they've shaped the person that you are today? My dad was a, uh, he's a he was a dentist. And um, it's interesting because he was also one of those people that was simultaneously building cars, building homes, uh, doing a lot of other things on the side. And um, I think my dad, one of the, the things I would say I got from him was certainly um, a can-do belief. There was really nothing I thought my dad couldn't do. And I got that sense because anytime he got a new hobby or a new interest, he would go 110% into it, learn it, become incredible at it, and then move on to the next thing. And what that kind of showed me is, wow, anything I dedicate myself to, it, it's possible for me to to do it and master it and become good at it. And um, that was a really valuable lesson for me to have. And my mom, um, I think, was just always a she's direct, realist kind of person. That would be how I describe her. And I think um, from her, I've got a lot of practicality. I think she grew up with um, you know parents that were more shaped with a almost like a depression era mentality, a sort of conservative way of living life. And I think that interestingly, my parents were a little bit yin and yang on that, where my dad was the big risk taker. And my mom was also like, you know, I would say conservative, but also playing that realist role. And so together, they kind of found this happy balance. And I do think that from each of them, I, I got a different kind of exposure. 
Yeah, and it seems like you are quite similar to your dad in terms of having a ton of interests. So you graduated early from undergrad. You ended up going to culinary school. What was that experience like? And I know in some previous interviews, you've said you mentioned your family was somewhat traditional. So how did they feel about this? Yeah, so um, I'm, I would call myself like the ultimate optimizer. I want to optimize everything I do. I used to complain in elementary school that I was at school too long, like too many hours, and that if they would just give me the book, I could just learn it so much more efficiently at home. Like I was so constantly frustrated with the amount of inefficiencies I found in school. And actually I did end up convincing my high school to let me go to school for a shortened day. And um, so like, this is just kind of like, you know, for me, boundaries are just, they're there, they're only there and if they make sense. And the second they don't make sense, I'm like trying to optimize around them. My parents told me because they had had a lot of friends whose kids were juicing the college experience, as they said, and making it last five years. So they said, Ashley, four years of school is all you're going to get. And I was like, okay. And so I knew that I had went in um, a little bit ahead of the game. And so I looked at what the major options were that interest me. And I realized that I could go, I could be an art history major and I really loved art history and I was going to double major. I was going to also be English and art history. I felt like English was going to set me up for law school, which is where I thought I was going to go. Mm-hmm. And I realized that not only could I graduate early, but I could live for a year in Italy and get enough units because art history was the only major that they would allow enough transfer units to come back mm-hmm. over to conference major. So I got to finish school early and spend a year because my parents they weren't very specific right they said four years well i'm like how about four years but one of those years can be in italy and then the other year will be with me going to um culinary school and so it was kind of a joke between us but i was like you know (laughs) you got to be more specific (laughs) i love that brilliant i wish i had your playbook when i was going to college but it's great that they were pretty supportive in your journey they did and they were also pretty clear that like grad school would not be part of the game that if i was interested in grad school i would have to pay for that myself so you know it was i actually really respect the way they set up a lot of that um i did game the system a little bit but they they you know they were happy about it at the end of the day their actual goal was just to make sure that i that i i I launched as a human and I liked that they weren't going to pay for grad school because if they had been willing to pay for grad school, I would have just went straight from undergrad to grad school. And it was really great. I didn't because what I thought I wanted to do then was be a lawyer and that wouldn't have been a good personality fit for me. But because I knew that I was going to have to pay for it myself, it made me go, you know, let me just go out into the workforce first and just make sure that's a fit before just taking on the the debt burden of what that is. And and I'm really glad that that was was forced upon me. What I love so much about your story is how varied your experiences in life were before you started your own company. You know, you're in culinary school and then you actually ended up working for a venture capital firm for free. So I'd love to hear more about that experience. Yeah, it's funny actually, because I was on a panel not too long ago with a handful of other women and we realized all of our first jobs were unpaid. Um, and, and I think, you know, we can talk about what that means a little more, but for me, it was like, and I think this is a different mentality than what I see from first year grads now, but I just viewed myself as a high potential person, but I also realized I didn't have that much to offer. You know, I was mm-hmm. smart and hardworking, but like I had zero experience. So if you look at hiring me, I had to create some sort of reason for somebody 
to actually take a risk on me. And I felt confident that once I got to apply myself, I would be worth the investment. But I realized that like, why would you take me? I'm an art history major versus some hardcore finance person that, you know, has the whole pedigree and all that. And so I realized, well, if I could make myself someone that you couldn't say no to, which is free, and then, then it might be easier for me to kind of have a, a way in. And, and that's what I did. And I actually did it while I was in school at culinary school. So I would work all, I would go to school. It was a five day, five hour a day school. And then I would work um, at the VC. And then, and then luckily three, after three months of that, they actually took me on full time. That's amazing. And before we jump deeper into your experience in VC, I want to go back to the panel comment that you mentioned. What was the common thread of everybody there? Were they all women as well? Yeah, they were all women and, and they were all, um, most of them, I think there was just a humbleness to how they mm-hmm. viewed themselves. Where And I, I hate to say this because I know this is sort of the, I am a millennial, so I'm going to go ahead and say this, but often a different attitude. I'm really lucky. I have an incredible team and I think they share that kind of a lot of them share that kind of humble uh, view of themselves. What I saw on that panel was a lot of people that recognized they had a lot to learn mm-hmm. and were looking for the opportunity. And they really viewed work as an opportunity and, and were ready to just dive in and eat it up and make the most out of whatever anybody gave them. And I think it served them well because, especially in your when you're in situations, one of the people on the panel was Lisa Ling. And you know, here she was in a situation where there weren't that many women in front of her and there weren't that many Asian women in front of her. So she was kind of a boundary breaker in a lot of ways. And so here she's someone who's like, well, I don't, you know, I I may not fit a lot of the molds of what you think, who you think should be on camera. And so she worked her way into that position where suddenly people go, yeah, you should be on camera. And and it's not the same journey that maybe a, a man would go through. I think like you can either get stuck on the fact that it's unfair that we have a different journey, or you get stuck on the fact that I will not quit until I get there. And I just think at the end of the day, that's probably a more fruitful way to focus on it. Absolutely. And, you know, that also resonates with me as well as your experience working for free at this VC firm is when I really want to do a massive career change. I was, you know, in finance, investment banking, and I wanted to branch out into the startup and tech world. And everybody thought I was crazy. And they always wanted to bucket me on the finance team. But that wasn't necessarily my interest anymore. And I had to take a massive pay cut just to prove myself a very junior position. And, you know, it was a big risk, but I was able to really prove myself. And after a year, you know, I was running the team and became an expert. So I think, you know, there are situations where taking a risk or, you know, maybe working for free or having a side hustle on the side of, you know, your main job could be beneficial because you just really need that experience to learn as much as you can to really prove yourself. You know, when I take on employees, even unpaid interns, which I'm not, you're not allowed to do anymore, but it's actually a cost on the overall team in terms of leadership. I actually am grateful even that they gave me the unpaid opportunity. You know, I think that's pretty cool. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. So really looking at your journey and reading more about your career, you went from culinary school to working at a venture capital firm to then working at an online media company. What do you think gave you the courage to pivot between the industries when typically a lot of people have fears around that? Yeah, I think... um, this kind of, I would connect this a little bit back to my dad, you know, I'd like, if I were to try to list all the things that he has like done in his life, it just sounds like he's a crazy person. But 
I just, I think he saw no boundaries on sort of the different things he could get good at in life. And, and so I think I just felt the same. And it doesn't mean I think I'm good at everything, by the way. I, I just, plenty of things I'm not good at. Um, but I do think um, at the end of the day, I felt like what I was confident is that I could deliver value. And in areas where I wasn't, sometimes I'm not sure how much value I can add. And I think that you bring up a good point where you're like, I took a big salary cut because, you know, you don't exactly know, you know, and, and yeah. it's like, yeah, I, I think that's what you got to be willing to do. And then you learn your value and wow, okay, this is a good place for me to, to lean into. And, and, and there's got to be a willingness, a flexibility with what that looks like. And um, for me, I, I don't know what gave me the confidence. I think if I look at each transition, I went into culinary school because I know I loved cooking. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is one of those things that I may never have another opportunity to do. I'm very interested in catering. Actually, that's what I want to do was, was catering. And then I thought, and if I never use it, it will be one of those skills that will serve me my whole life. And that's oh, it's probably the highest ROI education I could have gotten. <laughs> yeah. You know, I use it every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah, exactly. Especially now. Especially now. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. Uh, and so I just, I think I felt there was low risk there. I already had a college degree and um, it was a passion area of mine. When I went into venture, I've just, I'm a passionate, I'm passionate about business. So I felt like, mm -hmm. wow, this is a great place to learn, like high level business. I wasn't in a, you know, my family didn't talk in sophisticated business terms. So there was a lot of lingo I didn't know. And I thought that was going to get me some really good exposure. And then when I was there, I felt like, wow, I'm too far away from business. I'm actually like, I'm not, you know, when you work in venture, you're not in, you're not really in business. You're the financer. You're not actually, you're not sitting in a room trying to figure out how to get a product to market or solve complicated problems. And I thought if I'm going to ever evaluate businesses on whether they're valuable or have potential or not, I need to have sat on the other side and really tried to run something. And so I went uh, into a company in online media, which was a very growing field at the time, and worked for about four-ish years there and really got to see, okay, this is what it's like being you know, in a real business. And that was so helpful. I totally agree with that. I think it's so valuable sometimes to work for other businesses, other founders, other entrepreneurs, and really see the inner workings of how to start and run a real business. I think there's so many key takeaways that you can take into launching your own company. So I definitely agree with that. So I know you were happy working at that online media company, but there was a period of time in your life where you've mentioned you had an identity crisis and you were always thinking about what you wanted to do next. You had the idea of Lunia, but you didn't really take full action to start it in the beginning. Can you talk more about this period and the struggles that you were going through? You know, being a, a business person, I look around and I, I see opportunity everywhere, right? Anytime you have a frustrating experience with something, you're like, this is a friction point. There might be a business opportunity there, you know, and, and that is yeah. how I look at it. And, and I, um, there was two ideas that I had really been kicking around for a while. And one really, and most of them are things that came from personal experiences, but one of them was a wedding registry because at the time you couldn't have a universal registry. You could only register at each business one at a time. It was weird when you got married to send people 10 links to all the places you were registered people tended to register at generic places. Okay, Nordstrom, Bed Bath & Beyond, whatever that was. And half the time I didn't really get the things I actually needed because that didn't really solve the problem. And I went, 
man, if there was a universal registry, or if I could just ask for cash, this would be better because I actually need, don't need chargers. I need to pay for rent. You know, it's sort of like, um, and then the other idea was Lunia. And I, and I ended up moving away from the wedding one. And I'm super happy that someone has since solved that right? problem. <laughs> I'm like thrilled about it. Uh, but I, I moved away from it because I thought I won't be able to have a long-term relationship with my customer. And that I, I've always been really interested in this idea of building a long-term customer relationship. And so, you know, but, but before I started Lunia or bef- and when I had these two ideas, I think I had these ideas for a while before moving forward. And I think the reason you don't go into it is because of, in some ways, because of the things we talked about before, it would have been a pretty hard pivot. I had never made clothing before in my life. I didn't come from the fashion industry. What business had I making Lunia? You know, yeah, it's a really good idea. Somebody should do that. Um, And then at a certain point I went, I think the somebody's me, you know, and I guess I'll just figure out what I don't know. And, um, and that's, that's what happened. What do you think really shifted your perspective? I'm sure there are people listening today that have been in similar positions where they have a ton of different ideas, but it's really difficult for them to push through their own fears and start. I know at least for me, you know, I've always flirted with different ideas, but always said, okay, you know, I need a business partner or the right co-founder to really launch. And I'm curious, you know, what really changed within yourself that really pushed you to start Lunia without a co-founder and without any fashion experience? Yeah. So I would say a couple things happened. And actually I was already at the you know, I had been flirting with this idea for a while. I was, I had applied to business school and was starting business school. When I started Lunia, I had been, um, going to business school literally for exactly the reasons you're saying, which was a lot of its credibility. I wanted other people to think I was capable business person, but I also wanted to see myself as a capable business person. Um, maybe some people have that innately. I, I didn't, you know, and so I wanted that. Um, and I figured I would go to business school and find a business partner to do something with. I didn't necessarily even think it was going to be my idea, or maybe I figured I'd jump onto somebody else's idea. I, I was, it was vague at that point. Um, but what ultimately started it is I started school in September of 2012. I got pregnant end of September. And I, at, well, the second I found out I was pregnant, I went, if I don't have, if I, you know, if I don't do this business now, I probably will never do it. And then I will have to explain to my kids that I didn't take risks because I was afraid. And that feels worse than trying it and failing. And so in a weird way, I needed the stakes of failure to not be the biggest risk. I had kids and I went, even if I fail, I could at least tell them I swung the bat, you know? Yes, for sure. And I know there's also a very interesting story on when you officially, quote unquote, launched Lunia. Can you share more about that? It was so funny. So, you know, I had been working on Lunia um, for a long time. I ended up bringing on my first employee was this girl, Jasmine. And um, she also, she and I both had no business running this business, you know, doing this business in a lot of ways. Uh, she came from Lululemon, but she ran a store there. So had, it wasn't close to product or web, hadn't worked in the headquarters, but was, she and I were both kind of committed to just getting there, you know? And so yeah, what she and I didn't know, we were just like, we're going to figure it out. And, and that actually was like the beautiful beginnings of Lunia. And it was really a cool period of time. Uh, we worked out of my house, all that. And so what happened was when I was pregnant with my, I think it's my, with, I want to say it was with Vesper, with my second child, 
um, I was in labor and I, and I wrote a note to Jasmine, like publicly thanking her on Facebook saying like, just thank you so much for like the support you've given me. I mean, here I was like starting a business, having a baby at the same time. I just wanted to like, let her feel acknowledged. She had no colleagues. So it wasn't like, I could yeah. like, good job, Jasmine. And anyone else would hear. I just like, so it was sort of a public acknowledgement thing. Anyway, it was on Facebook. Everyone who knew us and had known what we were working on, um, started resharing it and saying like, Oh my gosh, you're launching. And, and like it was starting and I was like, Oh no, like this wasn't a launch, you know? And so I had had a beta, like beta key. You couldn't get into Lunia unless you were a friend until that point. I mean, I was literally in labor. I was just sitting there. I'd already had an epidural. So I was kind of, <laughs> and I was like, you're never going to get this kind of organic resharing. I can't remanufacture this moment. So it's true. I just emailed Jazz and I was like, let's take the, 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 you know, the blocker off of the site and let's just roll with it. Like this is going to be our launch. And so we literally launched while I was in labor. It was crazy. I love it. I love that story. You're launching a bunch of things all at once. So power to you. <laughs> Setting the expectations high, Ashley. Yeah, I'll just say, that, again, add it to my list of do not recommend. But, you know, like, sometimes yeah. you just, I mean, and this actually feels incredibly relevant in this particular moment, but there's things outside of your control and you have to roll with them. Yes, that is true. And I'm sure this year has taught many of us that as well. So looking at the early days of Lunia, can you walk through how you funded the business and really your thoughts around venture capital? Because I know right now you're an investor as well, but you didn't really go down that route when you were starting Lunia. Yeah. Um, so I have to be transparent with this, which is I'm, I'm lucky. You know, I'm, I, my husband, uh, we got together. He started a business. It enabled me to start a business because his business did well. So I'm in a unique circumstance. And I always like to acknowledge that because um, not everybody's circumstances are the same. Mm -hmm. I will say though, that, um, you know, I didn't start it with a big budget. I, I started this business very much on a, a, a shoestring budget. And, and I've always been very, very cost conscious about how I ran it. And I didn't start actually investing any kind of real money into the business until much later in the game, to be honest, it had to, I always say it had to prove itself. And I think a lot of the reason in that, that I took that approach was, you know, for me, even though I, I had some capital I could put into it, I thought, I don't want to be the one that like lost our money. You know, it's not like, yeah. oh, because you have money to put into a business that you don't care anymore. No, now I have money to lose. And I'm not saying when it's somebody else's money, you're like, you know, you're flippant about losing it, but it, it you know, I, it felt very real to me. So mm -hmm. I always ran the business like it was money from my pocket because it always was. And I actually do think you learn a lot when you have to run a business like that. I think you, you get into, you know, I just remember, you know, having run this business for eight years, I've been through a lot of interesting cycles, um, particularly in the capital markets. Say in the last five years, the capital markets have been flush with cash and they've been funding everything, really, you know, and giving huge valuations and, and huge amount of money. And, and when you get a big check, you actually have a lot of obligation to spend and to grow really fast. And, and that's one kind of pressure, which is, and we've seen, I think, from a lot of these businesses, which have been you know, blowing up the news now, they were all darlings before. And now they're all sort of, 
they're, you know, they're being shunned for how they spent their money. The capital markets really created that situation, right? They put in huge amount of money that, that created unrealistic growth expectations. And then yep. the founders had to pedal really fast in order to try to fulfill these unrealistic expectations. So it, it was a bit of a, a dangerous cycle. And it actually makes it really hard for people that were taking the growth approach that I was, which was, you know, a bit of a like more measured approach, which is like, we should grow roughly according to how much money we have to spend. The business, the money the business throws off should fund for the most part, the growth. And I did fund the business. It's just that I have had that kind of approach to growth. And it makes it hard because sometimes when, when you're hiring for, for positions, a lot of these overfunded companies actually drive the value up on, on the compensation side. I don't know how they're like, I wish I could pay that much, but I don't know how they're affording to pay that much. And then of course, now all these companies are headline companies and they're all in trouble. And it's like, now it makes sense to me. But at the time I kept going, what am I doing wrong? Because for some reason I can't make the money work. I can't pay that person what that, that company is able to pay. And then still hit break even as a company. And now I'm realizing nobody was, everyone was just spending far more than they could afford to. So, you know, it, it's, I think now my approach is, is feels like it's going to be in a better place, right? So it, the markets have shifted, the perspective on, on funding of companies have shifted. And I think people are looking to fund companies that will be profitable, have a very near term path to profitability. And and I think that will favor a business like Alunia that is run in that way. But plenty of businesses either that are, you know, kind of fizzling out or that have come and gone in the time that I've run it that make me constantly question, am I growing in the wrong way? Should I be, I must be looking at this wrong because I'm, you know, that's, I just took a different approach. So, you know, I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. I have always just spent it like it's my money. And, and I think in tougher times that ends up working out a little better and high growth times it means i maybe i'm not going to grow as fast as we are so it's true and i'm i'm glad you're walking through that process because i think it's important for people to really realize just the different ways of running a business whether you're raising money from institutional investors like venture capitalists or you know whether it's self-funded it's a completely different growth trajectory and you know i remember i was working at a startup here in la and we had raised money. It was very early stages and the growth expectations were so enormous, so incredible. So it's just, it's, I think it's helpful to talk about the different aspects of fundraising and what it means to your business. It's interesting because I am both an investor at this point and a person that runs a business. And so it's fascinating to straddle both sides, both worlds. Um, and I think that that's, that's true in so many ways. I would, I would talk to companies and uh, you know, they'd be getting huge valuations. And I would just say, you know, like, good for you. Honestly, as a person who runs a business, like you should take the money if you can get it. But I, I as an investor, I'm like, I, I can't, I don't know how to support that. Like, I can't be a part of it. And so it, it's been really wild to run through, you know, to be on both sides of this and, and watch how the, the the cycles change. Absolutely. And I know there'll be quite a bit of change as well this year, because it's been quite the whirlwind. So when I was prepping for this interview, I know you've mentioned in the past that you didn't have a lot of women role models who were necessarily leading big organizations and also were involved mothers. So fast forward to today, you're running multiple companies, you have an amazing husband and two young, adorable children. I'm curious, how have you designed your life to support that? Because I'm sure it hasn't been easy and I'm sure you've had to sacrifice quite a bit to make it work. 
Yeah. Um, I think, you know, connecting back to what you said early on is, is I didn't feel like there was a lot of role models. It generally was, you know, maybe there'd be a strong professional woman, but then she would have sacrificed family or marriage or whatever for that. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think that where I always struggled was I wanted both and I didn't really know how to choose between them. Uh, and so it felt like too much to ask to, to hope for both, but I wanted it anyway. And, um, I always talked about, I early on wanted to be a lawyer and I used to watch Ally McBeal and I honestly, that was pretty much why I wanted to be a lawyer. I looked at Ally McBeal and I was like, she feels like powerful. Like, you know, she's, she's desirable. She's smart. She's, you know, she's a lot of the things I want to be. And it was like, she was kind of the one person I could see that was doing it. And it's easy to discount how, how important media is. I always love that about Shonda Rhimes and a lot of her shows, which I also watch, I feel like, um, is she just casually slips in, you know, women, people of color, different, you know, different, all sorts of different, like, relationships and things as a normal. So you don't even notice it. And you're just like, oh, yeah, anyone could run a hospital. All right, cool. You know, and yeah. like, it was it was great because I saw other people and I was like, oh, yeah, a woman could be like a partner at a firm. And, and that just like it was great because I had seen it normalized. It didn't matter that it was made up TV for me. Like that was that was what I, I grew up with. And she was kind of the one person I could point to in that way. And and so I you know, the other person, <laughs> this sounds funny now, but like Martha Stewart was like the other example. Right. She was like this other very prominent female that was successful. And but there was you know, you could count them on less than one hand. You know, it was just it was it was small. Um, true. And so. I felt like I wanted to be one of those, I wanted to be one of those people so that other people could look, look and, and say, oh yes, this is possible. It's amazing how powerful it is just to say that it's, to feel that something is possible. Also amazing how motivating it is. You know, I think mm-hmm. if I didn't feel that there was purpose in my, my work, it'd be easier for me to stop, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that a lot of the things that have motivated me over the years is going, you know, I want to run a company that people will point to that they'll say is a, a well-run company that happens to be run by a woman. Yes, of course, a woman can run a, a company and then they can easily rattle off a couple of them that, that fit that criteria. And so in many ways, I actually, um, I get more upset when female companies don't work. You know, like ladies, it's, we need to run, we need to run successful companies. We actually have okay stats around starting businesses, but not really great stats about running successful businesses. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like I have more pressure and I, I -hmm. have high expectations for the other females that I invest in because I'm like, yeah, I expect you to, to be one of those people that my daughter could list off on her fingers of well-run female companies. That's what I'm investing in here. So it's, it's a, I think, but you know, responsibility is empowering. It's exciting. I think if, if you feel that what you do isn't connected to any kind of purpose, it's actually hard to be motivated to get out of bed in the morning. So it's a double-edged sword, you know. Looking at your life today, how do you think you, I hate the word balance, but how do you really balance and manage your lifestyle with two young children and, you know, managing high growth businesses? My feeling is that you are probably going to try to balance your life in the macro sense, right? So like, I want that when I'm on my deathbed, I look back and go, I have a good family. I have a marriage. I, I have a professional success. I had fun, right? Like I saw the world, the things that, but I don't think that there's balance in the short term. So mm-hmm. 
to be like, and I always like to be really honest with that because sometimes I'll talk to women that tell me they're starting their career so they can have flex, they're running their own thing so they can have flexibility. That is generally not true. Like just to be like super clear, unless you're like, hey, I'm kind of running a lifestyle business, then I think it actually can be great. If you're like a service industry, maybe you're like, you know, and you're like, hey, I can, what I love, maybe you're like, it's funny, I have a dermatologist who who is someone like this and I think it actually works great for her because when she has high needs with her daughter, she just doesn't take appointments. You know, there's not any fixed costs for her. She doesn't have any other employees. So it actually works really well. If you're talking about running a business though, like not a single practitioner type of thing, and there's other people that are relying on you, you know, they're also relying on you to grow. Like you have mm-hmm. to grow. That creates opportunity for them. It makes it fun to work where they work. It's they're buying in a vision. And so, you know, just to be honest, I haven't had very good balance. I don't think my balance has been very good for the past since I started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. What is changing? So I wasn't really that into the baby stage. Um, so I was involved with my kids. Like I made food for them. I ran the household. I've always been like the, the in charge of the household person. But um, I, baby stage for me was like pretty painful, you know, and I just wasn't. You had two kids back to back. Yeah. Like I was six, when my son was six months, I was pregnant with my daughter already. And I think that anyone who's had a kid that's six months old, they like really understand what that's like. That's just like certifiable, you know, that's it's insane. Yeah. Um, and I don't recommend it. I just didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what, you know, I figured, oh, by the time my son's 15 months old and my new baby's born, like, you know, he'll be feeding himself and handling it, you know, he'll like have some personal responsibility. Or something. <laughs> I mean, I just was so wrong. Like, it's just, there's just no, I just, I hadn't babysat. I had, I was so it's so funny how much you prepare for so many things in your life, but then you have a kid and you're just like, I'm going to have a kid. It's going to be fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It does work out. But, but uh, yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. And, and then when the kids came, I was so exhausted. I was just like a zombie. It was very hard on our, my relationship with my husband. He was also running a very high growth company at that time. And um, it created a lot of problems in our marriage. It was, you know, I think we had wanted a bigger family and, and mm-hmm. I think that because that was so hard, you know, that, that decision was a bit made for us. We're like, no, this is just too much. We take anything else on and we'll break this delicate balance that wasn't really a balance. Um, but now it's different. And I think that this is, this is where like, you got to know, you know, for me, I always felt like this is the painful moment. It's the grindy phase in our life. We have babies. Mm-hmm. We're not getting sleep. We're both running startup businesses. Uh, we happened to like also have been building a home at that time. And I was just like, this is what a spike looks like. And it's a long spike. And and now, um, you know, one of my goals for the company is to get the company more self-sustaining. It should not need me every day on the day-to-day basis. I've killed myself for years to get to the point where I can say that. Part of my job as a leader is to make a company that's not inc- so completely dependent on me. And it's, it's a, it's tricky because part of that, it's like a kid, right? You want it to go off and be on its own. And then you also have to figure out how to let go. And I'm learning these things. And also my kids are awesome now. They're five and six and I love this stage. So even though I didn't really dig on the baby thing, yeah, this stage is like amazing. Like they're my sidekicks. They want to do everything with you. They're fascinating. They're so smart. The way they take in the world, you just want to be there. And 
And they're yeah. starting to deal with less physical challenges, more intellectual ones, which are the ones for me, I really want to be there to shape, you know, the, the way they think about things. And so it's just very different. Um, and I, I think that this is the phase where I need to figure out how to wean myself a little bit off uh, of the everyday with Lunia. And it doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. I love Lunia. I've, it is one of my children, you know, but it needs to continue to grow up. And, and so I've hired a C team and, um, and they're, and, and I'm slowly giving them more day to day, but my, my core team also can reach me anytime. They know where I am. And, and so I'm learning this. I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to figure out how to manage a company without being in the weeds on everything. Um, and so I think balance is something that to me, I think like if you're running a company, if you, if you have the all in sort of mentality that I do, it's a spiky thing. It's something that you have to be, you either take the, Hey, I'm going to have a, a lifestyle balance all my life. Like I'm going to pick a nice job that has, um, flexible time or, you know, good benefits if you're, you know, and then, and then I'm going to have balance through most of my life or my approach has been, I'm going to go super hardcore and really work really hard for a short period of time. And that's what I've. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, you definitely are working hard. You know, you started Lunia. You now have two kids who are somewhat similar in age and are quite young. And your husband is an entrepreneur. And I know you've talked about how the early days, specifically when you were starting the business, were incredibly crazy. But you and your husband found a way to support each other. I would love to hear more about how involved your husband is and how you think that's really helped support you as a mother and also a leader for Lunia. Yeah, I think... Um, there were so many things for us that weren't going well. Uh, you know, it's like a long list for my husband and I. And I think a lot of that was we didn't, we couldn't totally speak each other's languages and we had a slightly different approach. You also realize you show up to a marriage with the positives and the negatives of the household you grew up in, you know? And so we looked very different than what both he and I had grown up with. He had also, his, his uh, situation was even more traditional. Uh, than mine. So very, very distinct roles between, um, between the mom and the dad. And I think that there was a lot of adjustment into this new world. And he had to know what it looked like to show up for me. I think it was, he was always going, well, I'm being so supportive. I'm, you know, I'm supporting you and doing your thing. And I'm like, right, but supporting me is like, there's a sick kid, you handle it. Like, you know, I've been up all night, you wake up in the morning. It's like, it's, it's actually in the how you show up. And, and so we had to get more specific, really outline what that was going to look like. And he, um, and, and also define ownership. Like I still own the home that I want to, that's what I chose, you know, and we had to define what that meant. And so in a lot of ways, like I'm the one pre-planning, it's almost like if you look at the home as another business, which is, yeah, it is, it is to be candid to people running businesses. Let's be real. I have a nanny. I've got people to help me clean my house. I have, we've had to hire into the gaps we've created by being so all in in our business. And so I have a whole other team that helps me do what I do on the business side. And that's an operation that we're running and you have to really approach it like it's a business. And so he's a piece of that. And so he had to figure out how he fits into that. And I had to help him figure out that too. So yeah, we, we walked, we stumbled a lot through that. Um, but we're pretty committed to the long game, you know, yeah. and I think that's really what it comes down to is we still, and we've had many moments where I'm like, do you, do we still want the same thing? And we check in with each other. I think we both feel like 
you know, there's going to be sacrifices in a relationship and we want to make sure that we're both still bought into the vision. It's literally the parallels between a company and yeah, and they just never end. Also the parent, the, the parallels between parenting and, and managing is, is crazy. You know, it's like the same thing. So uh, anyway, we've gone through a lot. We, we read books. We did a lot of things to try to help our marriage, tried to actually define what our values are, literally writing them down both had values. We had mission statements for our businesses, never thought to do it for our home. So tried to take more of a um, concrete focus around the home. And um, so that's a work in progress, but it's definitely, you know, I think it involved him having to get involved in a way that wasn't modeled for him at home. Mm -hmm. That's always hard when you're, you're reinventing things. We talked about this earlier. What does a businesswoman look like with not a lot of role models? We're, we're inventing that. And modern marriage is a work, it's a work in progress. So anyway, don't have perfect answers there, but yeah. I admit that it's, it's rocky and that I think commitment to, to end, you know, the end game has been really, really key for us. I think we both want to get through it. Absolutely. And I have so much respect for, you know, couples who do put in the work because it is a work in progress. And I'm curious, were there any books or anything that you both have specifically done that have helped your relationship? Yeah, I often mention the Love Languages book. Yes. Uh, for us, it was, it's such a like, kind of cheesy thing. And you can get like, from a Cliff Notes version, you can probably get the takeaway. One of the things we both realized is um, we give love in the way we want to receive it. Mm -hmm. But often our partner needs to receive love in a different way. So for example, Mark was lighting me up with compliments. I could care less <laughs> about compliments. Like it's literally zero to me. Like, so I'd just be like, whatever, dude, but like you just threw your shit on the floor again. Like, you know, if you love me, like, throw your stuff in the hamper. I didn't, I even took the lid off the hamper for him <laughs> to try to like remove impediments. And I was like, if you really love me, I don't want to pick up your underwear off the ground. You know? Yeah. It was like the weirdest. It's like we were speaking. I mean, it's appropriately named love language. We were speaking two very different languages. And actually when we read the book, we were laughing out loud because it was like resonating so hard with us. And we realized like for me, acts of service is my number one. It's actually yeah. a pretty common number one for women. I was going to say me too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and even women who don't start as their number one, once you have kids, it like definitely becomes the number one. <laughs> uh, so acts of service was my number one and physical was my number two. Mark's number one was at words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. And what's really hard is because I don't value words that highly, it's actually hard for me to give him words of affirmation. It feels yeah. so cheesy. Uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and he'll be like, you know, just tell me how great I am kind of. And I'll be like, oh my God, I feel so embarrassed. I don't know how to tell you that. That's so weird. Yeah. Like, you love me? And I'm just like, I want to die. <laughs> so it's like really funny, but it's important for me to get over it. Right. Because like, at the end of the day, I love him and I want him to know I love him. So I have to speak in his, in his language. And at the end of the day, he has to figure out how to pick his underwear up off the floor, right? Like, and that's the things we do for each other. We're lucky that we have physical, which is this one area that's like, we can overlap. Because if one of us gets sick and we can't go near each other for a while or something, 
our marriage feels like there's a ravine between the two of us. And so, we'll, but now we've been through a lot. We've been married 10 years. When that starts to happen, we'll acknowledge it. We'll be like, oh, you know, why do we feel so weird? Why does our marriage feel so off? And we'll be like, oh yeah, you've had a cold for two weeks. Yeah, it's going to be fine. And so just even that awareness, it's giving us the vocabulary to mm -hmm. know how to identify what's going on. That has been really, really useful. It's true. I'm a big fan of that bug. Actually, when I had first met my now fiance, it was pretty early on. We had talked about our love languages. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm definitely a big fan. Well, I'd love to talk more about relationships. Maybe we keep that to a uh, part two, but I want to be respectful of our time together and close on one last question that we love to ask all of our guests. Wealth means so much more than money and everybody has their own definition of wealth. What does that mean to you? Well, it's complicated. It means a lot of things, right? I think in a lot of ways, wealth can mean freedom. It can mean freedom to make the decisions you want to make with your life. And so that might mean opting out of money in some cases for flexibility. And I think that's one of those things that um, actually when a lot of the conversations come up about women making less money than, than men, this is one of those areas that sometimes I question that, that way of looking at it a lot because a lot of the women that I know that are really, really senior C-level people that were running big organizations, actually the top three, my three favorite C-level people, they have all moved into consulting and they've opted into a more flexible lifestyle because now what they have is the skills to be able to charge a decent amount of money and still mm -hmm. make good money and have the freedom to go do their own thing. And so they're all consulting. So one of those interesting things that I think about that is they are wealthy in that they have the freedom to choose to use their time how they want to use it. If that means using your time more for family or for art or to work, I even think within a marriage, it's one of those things that's always really rung true for me. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I'm in this very lucky position. I had my husband's business do well. And so I don't, it's not like I don't need to work to put food on the table, but I always felt like I needed to work so that I had, you know, I wanted to choose my spouse. I always said this to him, and this always feels a little complicated for people, I think, because no one, you don't want to get into a marriage and be thinking about how it might unwind. And I, I always said this to him early on before the business had any success because we were together very early, but I just felt like, you know, you don't want me to be dependent on you. And, in the sense that you want me to be here because I love you and I want to be with you. And, and that's what, that's why I want to be here. Um, and so for me, career has always meant that ability to choose to be with somebody. Um, and, and I think that to me was, was, it's a form of freedom. And I think that's really good. And I think it's really healthy, you know? It, and, and so I think that's great. And I, I love, you know, I like this, I, the flexibility that people can have with that definition. What a gift if you're, what a gift that you have if you have the ability to make those kinds of choices and trade-offs in your life. I love that. That was such a beautiful answer. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us today and just being so transparent and real about your story of motherhood and entrepreneurship. It was such a blast to have you on. It's been great chatting with you too. Good luck in everything. And uh, thank you so much for the time. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.